Hi, I'm Lisa and I'm an alcoholic. And, um, I just want to start by thanking Jen uh, for being the 10 minute and um, she didn't want to do it. And I, you know, we get like so terrified to do things when we're, um, you know, when we're asked to do it in AA. And so I was encouraging her to do it. But then um, what I didn't tell her was when I very first got sober, it was at a meeting up in Santa Barbara and it was a big, big Saturday night meeting. And my sponsor was the secretary and in that meeting, they would just call people up randomly to the podium to say something before the main speaker got on. And um, so my name was called and I just ran out of the room. I was like, there's no way I'm getting up there and telling my story. And, and I just ran and hid and um, thinking, oh, this just has to go away. I mean, we just, I just can't be doing this. And, um, but the one thing we learn around here is, you know, we take those actions that we don't want to take, you know, and we take actions that we don't believe in. And, and, uh, you know, cause how can doing, you know, any of that stuff help and, and it helps immensely. And, um, you know, if you're new tonight, you know, and I think there's a lot of people who are new, welcome to Alcoholics Anonymous. For me, um, I've always loved AA, um, except the not drinking part. That was the only part where I was like, wow, great people, great program, great everything. Um, it's just that pesky not drinking. Um, and not doing anything else issues, you know? And so I'm someone that, you know, I tried to fight alcoholism. I tried to um, do everything to circumvent alcoholism and to not be an alcoholic. And, and um, I tried drinking when I was young and with long-term sobriety, which I'll talk about with um, in relationships and not in relationship, whatever I could do, I just thought, how can I be powerless over alcohol? And and lo and behold, alcoholism is a very, very real thing. Um, and it's something where we are absolutely powerless over. And, and who knew? And, um, you know, my, my story, you know, I, and I hope, you know, you hear something tonight that you, you know, get something out of. You know, we come in here and we share our experience, strength, and hope. And sometimes we hear our story and sometimes we just hear people that we really, really relate to. And and I remember when I first got sober, I was 19 and um, I was, I was in Santa Barbara at the time where I first got sober and, and there was a man that spoke and his name is Johnny Harris and, and some of you probably know him. And, and uh, I remember that night he got up to speak and, you know, his story could not be more different than my own, you know, um, I'll tell you my, my story, but here I'm this 19 year old girl that drew, grew up in Santa Barbara County and you know, I heard this man spoke, speak, and um, he had long-term sobriety. He'd been in and out in prison. He had been in gangs, like in the 40s and 50s. And, and, uh, and he talked about, he would say, I know what makes the big hurt go away. And I knew what he meant with that. And I have never related to a man more than I related to that man. And, and I remember years ago, I had read something in some novel and it said you know there's some times in our lives where an event happens and our our lives are split in two to the moment before that event and the moment after that event and i would say that that night i knew that i belonged in alcoholics anonymous and and it was life-changing for me and i uh you know and how i got there was um i grew up in a family that um, and it's kind of hard for me to tell my story now a little bit because my mom um, passed away about a year ago and my mom was, uh, you know, kind of a big part of my story. But um, 
I grew up in the fam a family where I was the youngest of four and by far. So same mom and dad. But when I was born, my oldest brother was 21 and my uh, sister was 16 and my other brother was 15. And so I was this little like midlife, you know, crisis accident to my parents, you know, certainly not planned at all. And and um, came into this family that was, you know, older than me and just kind of a chaotic family. And and uh, just to tell you a little bit of some of what was going on when I were or how it was, especially for my siblings growing up. But um, when I was born, my oldest brother was in Vietnam. And years ago, a few years ago, I had asked him and he volunteered to go to Vietnam. He, he wasn't drafted. And he went to Vietnam and he was shot and he came back home and and then went back. And I asked him, I said, you know, I can kind of understand why you would volunteer and go the first time, but why'd you go the second time? And he said, well, I had a choice between mom and dad in Vietnam and I chose oh. Vietnam. <laughs> and he was serious. He was like, I'm going to, I'm going to Vietnam. And it was like, Whoa. And, uh, and in my family, especially with my siblings, there was just, there was arguing and yelling and fighting and, and, um, and I was this little girl and kind of just full of love. Like, I just love these people, you know? And I'm sure that's a little bit of being the youngest in the family, but I was always that like, oh, can we just get along? And, and, um, and I loved it when they came home and then I couldn't even wait for everybody to leave, you know? So it was just this, you know, loving these people, but I so wished I had come from another family. And, and, uh, and so growing up in that, it was just chaotic. And what I didn't know at the time either is that there was a lot of alcoholism in our family. And, and I didn't know that because in, in our direct family, I heard all the good stories. You know, I heard all the great things and how we were just kind of, you know, supposed to be a certain way. And, and I didn't know at the time of, about all the alcoholism. And, and when I was um, from a really, really little, young, young age, I also, you know, like many of us, I was like, I just don't belong here on this planet. Like, I don't belong here. And and when I was like five years old or, or so, my mom would tell the story. And I remember this. I was probably four or five. And, and I was in the bathroom um, of our home and I was looking in the mirror and I was looking in my eyes. And, um, and my mom came in and she's like, what are you doing? And I said, where did I come from? Because I remember just going like, where where did I come from and so she's trying to explain like you know having babies or whatever and I'm like no that's not it I go before that where was I and uh and she's like well, I don't know she didn't even know how to answer and I go and where am I going after this and do I get to go back to where I came from and as a little girl I just felt this like I came from somewhere else and I'm gonna be going back to wherever that is and and uh so needless to say, you know, gr growing up and in this family, um, I started, the, well, the first thing I actually did was smoke pot with my brothers. Um, and I was about 11 years old. And, and I grew up in a place called the San Ynez Valley. And San Ynez is up in Santa Barbara County. And it's all vineyards. So it's like ranches and vineyards. And and everybody drink. It's like, it still does. I mean, that's just the hobby. And so we would just run around and, you know, at the vineyards and be able to get whatever, you know, alcohol we wanted. But the first time I ever did anything was smoking pot with my brothers. And I remember just feeling so grown up and we lived out in the country and 
they wanted candy or something. So they let me drive the car to the, into town, to the liquor store. And, and, uh, you know, here's how I'm, I'm 11. I've just smoked pot, I'm driving to the liquor store. And I'm like, I am just so I've arrived, but I don't even know if I'm stoned, but right after that is when I started drinking and, um, you know, and, and drinking like seriously, where before that, you know, there was always like, you know, sangria in the fridge. And, and I think I was probably like, I don't know, like 14, 15 before I even knew sangria wasn't juice. When I was growing up, it was just like, that was just juice. It was always in the refrigerator, but about 11, I started, um, drinking and, and smoking pot. And, you know, for me, I just crossed that line at the very beginning. I crossed that line at a really, really young age. And, and because I knew, you know, the minute I started drinking, it was, oh, I want to do this all the time. And I would, um, you know, get into my parents' liquor cabinet and, you know, everything was watered down. In fact, at one point they threw a party and all of their alcohol was watered down and, and, um, and they couldn't believe like, you know, I had been the one to do it. And, but about, um, when I was 15 years old, my mom and I got in a really serious car accident and, and she almost died. And, um, my, my father was an executive, uh, for an aerospace company. And so he was always gone a lot. He had offices in Seattle and, and down in LA. And so he would be gone and he'd come home on the weekends. And after this car accident, my mom, my siblings were out of the house by this point. My, and my mom really wanted to be with my dad more. And so my parents sat me down and, or my mom sat me down. My dad wasn't there. And, and um, so she said, you know, your father and I have, ta have talked. And so you have a couple of options. You can either move with us. You can live in Los Angeles or you can live in Seattle or you could stay here at the house in San Ynez. And, um, and then mind you, this was also the 80s. And I was talking with some people um, recently, you know, that, you know, those some of us that grew up in the 80s, it literally was like we were feral. So, you know, we were just like, we just kind of raised ourselves. We were out just kind of doing whatever we were, you know, whatever we were doing. And, and, um, but at 15, when they gave me the option to, to stay at the house, I was like, I'm staying. It's great. And so they left me the car. Um, I didn't have a driver's license yet. And so I was only supposed to drive to school and back. And instead, you know, I was up north, I was in Los Angeles, I was in Santa Barbara, I was just, you know, all over the place. And, and, um, you know, and at 15, I was acting like I was 25, you know, I would drink wine and do my homework. And, and, um, you know, and then my parents, so the first time when they left, they were probably gone, if they were gone a few months, we kind of think it was probably more like six months, but they were gone then my family would come home. So every couple of weeks, everybody would come home and then everybody would leave again. And, and uh, a while ago, you know, someone had asked me, do you have, you know, like abandonment issues? Do you feel like it? And I was like, no, like to this day, I'm like, I was so glad they were gone. Like I have a lot of issues, but abandonment issues, it's not one of them. It was like the greatest thing in the world. And so it was just on and I was drinking and and I could never control my alcohol. Um, I just, I, I just never could. And I started to do a lot of other things also. And, and I always did well in school. Um, it was just, I don't know how, cause I was never there, but 
I just did, I, I was still did well in school. And, um, but you know, I started missing a lot of classes and they would call home. And, and so I would say, Oh, my mom's in the shower. I'll call you back. So I'll call, I called her wherever she was. And then, um, so it was just that. And, um, in, I was just about, you know, good alcoholics were really good, you know, starters, but really poor finishers. I, um, about three weeks before my high school graduation, I had been told that I had all the number of absences I could possibly have. And, and then if I missed any more school, I wasn't going to be able to graduate. And, and it was three weeks before my high school graduation and some friends were going to drink and, um, and I hadn't had a drink that day. And I was like, you know, those thoughts, those decisions. And I'm like, I'm out of here. I'm just gone. So I left, I just left. Um, three weeks later, there was an APB out on me. Cause I had just, I, I you know, I was just out somewhere and, and uh, so I didn't graduate from high school and, and in my family, you know, you're supposed to graduate, you're supposed to, you know, do these things. And I just didn't. And, and, um, and I watched my high school graduation though. I like sat and I drank vodka and watched everybody <laughs> graduate and just, you know, feeling sorry for myself. And, and, um, but so then, you know, about five or six months later, whatever I had to study, I took the GED and, and um, so just making my life hard on myself, like why don't I just go to class and I have to study for this thing and take this test, but, but I got the GED and, and, um, and during this time too, I would um, make up pain. And especially in the eighties, if you made up pain and you go to the doctor, you know, they would give you great pain medication. And so, and I liked to drink with that medication. Um, so I'd make up pain. And, and at this one time, you know, I had just been up. A long time and so I went to the doctor and I said like I had this pain and it always had worked before but they did all the he did these tests and and he came back in and he said you know you have acute appendicitis and we need to take you to the hospital right now and have your appendix removed and and I sat there knowing there's nothing wrong with me like there was nothing and I just thought let's go because I thought amazing, like, I'm just going to be out in a few hours, I'm, you know, and so um, during that time, I had my appendix out, I had other medical procedures, I had like, you know, I was always doing that and drinking on top of it. And thank God, the first time I got sober, I was young, because I, I literally would have had a kidney out if I could have like <laughs> gone to the hospital. And, and, um, and so the first time I got sober, um, I had gone to a place called the care unit in Santa Barbara and, and one of my best friends had gone there and I never, I didn't even know about AA. I didn't know about, you know, anything. And, and she was going to the care unit. We had the same therapist. And so the therapist said, Hey, well, Beth's going, but who really needs to go is you, you need to be going to. And I was like, what? And so my friend Beth and I talked and we're like, let's go to care unit. I go, it's just, you know, this hospital and why not in Santa Barbara? And, no idea what I was getting into. And, and, um, it was my first introduction into AA and I, um, you know, it was, and I met this woman and her name was Jan. And to me, she had the most amazing life where she had two and a half years sober, which was, I couldn't believe it. I was like, you have not had a drink for two and a half years. And, and, uh, and I just loved her. And, and I really loved that, um, you know, in the 60s, she lived in a tree fort up in, in Haight-Ashbury up in San Francisco. I'm like, that's cool. And so it wasn't even a special program, although she worked in an amazing program. And, and so, and she had this great life where she would go to a meeting and, um, and then she would go to work 
And then she'd go to a meeting at the end of the day and she was just beautiful and had a great relationship with her son. And, and I just thought now at my house, it was chaos. By this point, I'm living in Santa Barbara. I had had two cardiac arrests. Um, one time my heart stopped solely from drinking. I had just had too much alcohol and uh, my heart just stopped. And so I was waking up in hospitals, you know, with like this one time they were, someone was doing CPR or something on the street. Cause I just woke up, my chest was all bruised where they were just pounding on my chest to get my heart started. And so that was going on at my, my place. And, and, um, and during this time also I had met, I was getting um, therapy by a man that um, at the beginning, he was talking to me about being sober. And he was also an MD. So he was like doing this counseling, but he was an MD. And, and um, he start, was talking to me about being sober and, and at the beginning. So then as time goes on, I was seeing him, you know, once a week. And then he wanted me to come in twice a week and then three times a week. And, and at one point I had said to him, you, you know, I think I like older men. And um and he goes, well, I'm an older man. And, uh, and it just proceeded. Now, when I first got sober too, I thought, you know, I hadn't really prostituted myself or I hadn't. However, I remember looking at him and he wore this, this lab coat and he, he was not an attractive man at all. <laughs> but he had this uh, prescription pad. And, uh, and he also said that he lived in Montecito and he said, I could have a horse. And so I was like, okay, let's do this. And it was just, I also, and so I was trying to, I was kind of going to meetings. I was out of the care unit this time and I have my sponsor and, and, but then I'm in this thing with this guy and she actually, my sponsor worked at the hospital where this man had privileges at. And, um, I would overdose and he would discharge me and it was just chaotic. And then at one point we were having dinner in Santa Barbara and um, he wanted to get married and he was crying. And, um, and so I said to him, but you're my therapist. I go, aren't I supposed to be crying about something? And so I knew, and then talking to my sponsor, she's like, this is, this is, you, you, this was really bad what he was doing. It ended up shockingly. I wasn't the only one that he was doing this with. And, um, but like I've often said, I'm sure I was his favorite. I, um, but it was happening a lot. And so when I got sober to say I wasn't functioning is an understatement. And so I would come to meetings and I'd stand in the back of the room during those days, I always dressed in black. So I was in black and I would wear like this white eyeliner and, and um, I'd never smile and people would tell me, you know, you should smile. And I'm like, yeah. like, I was just like the whole, but there's something hap would happen in these rooms of AA that I loved. I really loved the people. And, and, um, and so in 1989, I, I got sober and, and in 1989 up in Santa Barbara too, like everybody was in AA, you know, it was like, it was the place to be in, in meetings and, and, uh, and, and, and I loved it and, and I got sober and, and was really given a, an incredible life in, in Alcoholics Anonymous and, and very active. So when we're up in Santa Barbara, um, you know, where I got sober, we were just active. You do what's asked of you, you know, you don't say no and, and uh, you learn like AA etiquette. There's all this stuff, actually skills that to this day have changed my life. Like I know for a fact, I know what to do and 
work and relationships and so forth from all these basics that I learned in Alcoholics Anonymous. And, and, um, and life got really good. And I, um, uh, went on to school, I got an undergraduate degree and then I went on to law school and, um, became, um, you know, successful doing that. I'd met a man in AA early on. Um, and he was wonderful. And he had five years more, um, time than me and we had a great life and ended up moving to Los Angeles. And then, um, and then a while later moved, moved down here to, to Orange County and, and in during that time, you know, and, and the other thing in Alcoholics Anonymous too, you know, we have help in our sobriety. You know, we never have to do anything alone. My favorite words in the in the big book are, you know, we. Everything is a we that we that we do. And and I certainly never thought I'd be able to get my life together again. You know, I had, um, you know, I just thought I had created too much damage and. And so I was just kind of shocked that I would even be able to, to have this life. And, and um, at one point, you know, after I had gone through law school, in order to um, be able to be sworn in as an attorney in California, you have to be approved by the ethics board. And so by this time, I had gone through law school, graduated law school, um, took the bar exam, passed the bar exam. And then I got in a letter from the California Bar of Examiners saying, um, we cannot account for your whereabouts from 1987 to 1989, and uh, which is just this time you know, of chaos. And, and so I called my sponsor and I was like, I knew it. I knew I was, this you know, wasn't going to work and my past was going to come back to haunt me. And, um, and so she said to me, you know, just, I'm going to make a phone call. Like, just don't worry about it. Just, just don't worry. I'm going to make a phone call. I know somebody. And I said, okay. And so I just, she said, um, and I was going to a meeting. And so she called me and, and said, you know, just go to the meeting and then someone's going to give you a call, you know, tomorrow. So it's like, okay. So the next day uh, my phone rings and, and um, it's this man and, and I had no idea who this man was. And, and he's had this big booming voice and he's like, honey, I understand like you have some trouble that you're in and tell me all about it and be honest and tell me everything. And so I said, you know, told him my story and I said, oh my God, in 87, 89 too, you know, I'm in rehab. I'm like overdosing, like, how am I supposed to explain this to the California Bar of Examiners? And so he goes, just, you know, don't, he goes, I'm gonna make some phone calls. And um, then I'm going to call you tomorrow. And I said, okay. And so next day he called me and, and he said, um, you're in. He goes, you're going to be getting a letter and and um, you've been approved by the California Bar Examiners to practice law. And and I said, um, I go, God, are you an attorney? I go, who are you? You know, here's this total stranger. And, and he said, well, I used to be an attorney. And, and he said, but for the last 20 years or so, I've sat as a justice on the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeal. And and um, it, it was this man that had been sober for a long time. And, and he said to me, he's like, honey, you're going to do great things. You know, it was just like the people in AA were so encouraging and so beautiful. And, and um, without that support, without these people, you know, I, it, it, and let alone sobriety, that it was just the, and I was really grateful to like where I got sober, I go to meetings all over the place and, and where I got sober, we also never talked about, you know, that we're broken or we're sick or we're, we were straight out of the big book. 
which is we're transformed. Um, we find a new life here in Alcoholics Anonymous. We have these psychic changes, these complete upheavals of who we are. And, um, and in fact, later on in the big book, it says we're reborn. And my sponsor now always talks about that. You know, it's like, and to me, that is, we have, we're given a whole new life here at Alcoholics Anonymous, very similar to what Jen was talking about of, wow, you know, these people that we were, um, you know, it's often looking back, it's so different than who we are today and that these changes are possible. And I, uh, one of my, um, you know, I, I've read a lot of, of Carl Jung. I've also, I've always been amazed how kind of the seconds and inches of Alcoholics Anonymous, how our program could have gone one way, but it went another way. And there's a, um, for those of you who don't know, it's in, it's in the big book, but a very well-known um, psychiatrist named Carl Jung early on was um, in giving uh, therapy to a man named Roland Hazard, who was Roland Hazard is the person that worked with Ebby Thatcher and Ebby Thatcher worked with Bill Wilson um, which is how we we have Alcoholics Anonymous now, and and um, and Carl Jung had told um, Roland Hazard, he said, you know, you are a hopeless alcoholic, and and you know that there was really nothing that this world-renowned psychiatrist could could do, and and so Roland Hazard said, you know, are there any exceptions? And Carl Jung said, well, on occasion, we found that people have had profound spiritual experiences, and. And in those spiritual experiences, there's a complete transformation. And, and that's what happened to, to Roland and so forth. And, and um, so I've always loved Carl Jung's influence on Alcoholics Anonymous. And, and a while ago, I was watching this interview of, of Carl Jung, and, and it was towards the end of his life. And, and there was some great letters between Carl Jung and Bill Wilson, too, because Carl Jung says, I wish I had even been stronger about this, this spiritual need. And, um, but they asked in right before his passing, they asked Carl Jung in this interview, Dr. Young, do you believe in God? And, uh, and he sat there for a minute and he said, believe in God? No, no, I have no belief in God. I know God. And, um, you know, it's one of the things that I've experienced here, you know, with whatever that definition is, um, that something happens that we experience that is so profound. And, and Carl Jung later went on to say, I think modern man doesn't find God because they don't look low enough. And, uh, you know, and what I have found is it's listening to the stories that happen in here in Alcoholics Anonymous. Uh, we listen to each other and we um, walk through our lives together and we're transformed together and we experience and share our joys and our sorrows. And, um, you know, and it ends up being this beautiful, beautiful life. And I, um, you know, and, and like I said, at, at one point at, at 16 years sober, I, I did take another drink and that was almost 16 years ago again. And, um, and that was a very important drink, um, it, it drank for a little while, not too long, but, um, because what I realized during that time too, I'd achieved a lot of success. Um, I was living down here in Orange County and, and, um, you know, around a lot of people drinking in my profession, there's a lot of drinking. And so I kind of had my sober life, but because I had moved, I started to pull away from Alcoholics Anonymous and 
I was in a, you know, one life of sobriety and then another life, um, of not sobriety. And, and, um, I took a very important drink one day, um, and we had just sworn in one of our, one of our new attorneys and we were at Las Brisas in Laguna and, uh, my office manager, and it's my whole staff, my, my law partner, I was a name partner of a law firm at this time, all my staff and, and had not had a drink in 16 years. And my, um, now here's the big mistake. I had ordered a virgin margarita and, um, my office administrator had a regular margarita and, and um, she said, this is really strong. And uh, I go, is it? And um, she said, yeah, she was, do, you, do you want to switch with me? And I go, yeah, I do. And um, now those things just don't happen out of the blue. It, it came as the result of, um, you know, in, in, with alcoholism, it's physical and mental as it's described in the doctor's opinion. And, and, uh, and in order to have that psychic change, we have to take a lot of actions in AA to have that psychic change, but because, um, alcoholism is also mental, it has to be maintained. And that's based on our spiritual condition and a daily reprieve. And I had just been literally resting on my laurels. Um, for probably a good year, year and a half, and just kind of irritated by people in the meetings, you know, and, and um, just various things. But when I took that drink, you know, the first time it hit my system, I was afraid, a little afraid, and then took another drink. And it was literally like what Clancy talks about that kaboom. And I just thought, why the hell have I not been drinking for 16 years? Like, just like that, like it was that quick. And and up until that point, I could have thought I was young, you know, and I was kind of thinking that, you know, maybe I was young or, you know, now everything's really good in my life. And, and right away, actually, my law partner who know, knew I was sober came over to me and he said, um, do you know what that is? And, uh, and I go, yeah, we drink in AA. And, um, <laughs> which we absolutely do not. And so, um, you know, and then it, he he tried to get sober a little bit himself too. And when he first came to AA, he said, "Yeah, at least he said I could drink here." And, <laughs> and um, but no. And so, but the importance of that, and in these, you know, these last sixteen years, I never take my sobriety for granted. I um, I show up on a daily basis. I don't have any secrets. Um, a big part of that time too, I had secrets. You know, I kind of had a little bit of a double life going on. Um, and, uh, and so I was just kind of doing this sober thing, but then this other thing and, and, um, in one thing and then doing another thing and, um, and that caught up with me and it catches up with us. And, and now in my life, I don't have any secrets, you know, I, and I have my posse of friends that, um, are with me all the time. And, and what I found too, are these, you know, when I, when I went out to, and this being irritated about with people in AA, um, you know, I, um, when I took that drink, that, that, the, those next couple of weeks, I was, um, supposed to go out to the powwow. Their powwow was this convention out in Palm Desert. And, and um, there were some of us that always would play golf together. And so again, in my life, it was Johnny Harris, me, the man in my life that had 27 odd years sober and, and, um, and the, the, someone else in our foursome and, and um, no one knew I had been drinking. And I, so I thought, I'm just going to go out to the power and pull this off. And, and I would say any of you that know Johnny Harris, you know, it's, it's, it's really like Clancy, you know, you just, you, 
you, you can't go play golf without this person knowing, you know, but um, he um, said to me, and I thought I was going to be able to pull it off. We were walking, we were standing by the cart and we were waiting for some people to, to, to hit. And, and he said, um, he goes, you know, honey, I have loved you like a daughter since you were 19 years old. And he goes, I have big shoulders and there's nothing that you can't tell me we won't find a solution to and walked up the fairway. And, and I knew at that time, like, wow. And, um, and so I ended up and then being back in here in these last 16 years, like I said, like, no, I don't take anything for granted. I don't have any secrets. And I also know it's a daily reprieve. And, you know, when we first get sober, we have to, you know, surrender to alcoholism, which is kind of a weird thing, you know, of, wow, can I really not drink? And the answer is no, you know, it's complete powerlessness over it. But then the second big part of that is surrendering to Alcoholics Anonymous, you know, that, and I've, um, so I've been in AA now almost 37 years. And, um, uh, you know, one of the benefits of drinking again is no one can put together my age, which that's really nice. But, um, you know, it's been about 37 years now. And, and um, you know, and so, and I've seen everything, absolutely everything. And nothing works like Alcoholics Anonymous. It, it works. And, you know, and it's like the book says it works. It really does. And I, um, a few years ago, I, um, I, and when I was younger, there was always this God part that stayed with me my entire life. And actually when I was 15, I had a major spiritual experience. Like it was like one of those kind of white light that, and, and that always stayed with me. And so, and even when I was drinking and using, like I was someone, I would do cocaine and read the Bible. You know, it was just like this, I, cause I always had like this and then this and, and, um, but a few years ago I went to seminary and got a doctorate in theology and, and, um, and so I, I practice law still. And, um, but doing that too, what I was realizing even during that time, um, is that, you know, in Alcoholics Anonymous, we are absolutely given the, are the ability, despite whatever our, relate, our religion or faith or, or atheism, whatever it might be, you know, we're given a program to uh, actually live something so much higher than ourselves. It's like we're given all the tools to do that and the ability to do that and, and the support to do that. And, and uh you know, I've, you know, for sure, it's about not drinking, like we, you know, we don't drink, but then it's so much more than that. And it's, you know, that connection to that each other and that connection to something higher than ourselves. And, and in my family, we had like such immense healing. And um, my, um, like I said, my mom died last year, and, and my dad died about eight or nine years ago now. And, and um, when my dad was on his deathbed, um, he and I and I sat with him. And and as I was sober, um, I also, like I said, I learned a lot about the other alcoholism in, in my family. And and um, and on my dad's deathbed, um, he was going he'd never been to AA, but I knew my mom didn't want him to drink. And. And I saw him drink a couple times and I actually loved it because he was a whole other man, 
Like it was like, whoa, like my dad was like an aerospace engineer, you know, like he was so refined. And then that man would drink, like he was drinking with some of my, um, my, actually my friend's parents one night when I was little. And, uh, he, um, came over with his bartender hanging on him and he's like, I love her and she loves me. And it's like, dad like and so apart and then the next day we went on family vacation my mom was like so angry with him and so I knew he wasn't supposed to drink and and um and I hardly ever saw him drink maybe like two or three times in my whole lifetime but but on his deathbed um and it was such a beautiful time um actually um and it can be and he said um he was reviewing his life and he said I haven't had an alcoholic beverage in 19 years. And, and, uh, and my whole family was around the deathbed when he said this around him. And, and he said, how long has it been now for you, honey? And, and so, um, you know, and I, and I told him and, and he said, Oh, you're going to get there again. Like it was, he was just ready to pass. And, and I had these profound experiences, um, when he, when he passed, um, and then also when my mom passed also, I knew they were still with me. And uh, these random things happened that just can't be explained. Um, and, and it was beautiful. And we had so much love for each other and so much love in, in our family. And, and here, you know, these were people that I really, I didn't want them to be my family. And, I, and they even knew it, you know. And, and I would just say, you know, I can't wait to find my other real family you know, and they're going to be beautiful and amazing and, um, you know, loving. And, and in fact, the first time I, um, and I, even when I was younger, I held out this, this hope that my other family was coming along. And, and, um, the, when I was younger, um, this was probably like 20 cause my, I was sober and my sponsor and I, we were going down to Mexico and I needed my birth certificate. And, and, uh, so we, I was down at the Santa Barbara courthouse and, got my birth certificate and it had my mom and dad's name on it. And I burst out crying in the courthouse. And, and this lady thought I just found out I was adopted. And so she's trying to, you know, talk to me and I'm like, no, they are my parents. I was hoping like there'd be other names, you know, these other names and, and, um, you know, and, and so, you know, I had made amends to these people and, and, um, and I try to honor them very much today and take care of their wishes and, and, um, you know, and try to be, um, you know, the daughter that they would want me to be. And my, um, you know, when I first, um, when I got sober, I remember talking to somebody and, and um, saying, and I used the word saved for some reason at that, at that time. And I said, you know, I wonder why I was saved. And, and um, he, this man said to me, he goes, oh, I thought the same thing. And I asked my sponsor that. And, and he said, and my sponsor said, maybe you were saved, so you'd live your life as though it were worth saving. And um, and that always stayed with me, you know, that in sobriety, if you know, my um, you know, I try to live my life not just for my own. We're 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 taught to do that here, you know, where our lives can be so useful for for other people and and to help other people that are suffering with the same thing that we have and to be able to say there's a way out you know there's a way out and and there's hope and there's peace and and uh you know we're also um taught to you know in in the book and in the steps and in the traditions 
um, we're given these principles to live by. And, and to me, a, a principle, you know, in, in fact, in a lot of meetings, too, they say, you know, principles before personalities and we all clap or we repeat it or whatever, you know. And, and um, so with my sponsees, we, we go through what those principles are you know, and, and the principles of forgiveness and willingness and um, neutrality, there's principles in the steps and in the traditions. And, you know, and to me, a principle is something that's, you know, ingrained, it's something that I live with. If it's not something that's embodied, then it's just a concept. And so, um, you know, we're given this, this way of living. And, and then like Jennifer was talking too about making those amends, you know, we go and make amends. And I certainly, I had to make amends that I never wanted to make either. And I remember hearing this speaker um, and she was sharing about, um, she was speaking about um, someone that had made amends to her that didn't even know that, that she was sober. And, and it was this guy that she ultimately ended up meeting, but, and he didn't want to make amends to this woman. He had robbed her house um when he was younger and, and he didn't want to go and tell this lady that he had robbed her house and and um but similar to what jen was saying too he got the courage to do it he's like i've been asked to do this and i'm just gonna go and do it and and so he went to this woman and he said i am so sorry and he said with ear and he said i robbed your home and and uh she just started crying and he's like, I'm so sorry. And she goes, no, no, no. I always thought my son did it. And so the fact that this guy had even gone, and I remember that, you know, all of these things that I heard in AA, you know, I, I just took it in and, and um, knew that, you know, I, I, for me to stay sober, I needed to change everything. You know, it's like when we realize there's a problem and change is necessary. And, uh, and that change takes taking these actions here in Alcoholics Anonymous. And, and I know, you know, in, in my life, I'm just so grateful, you know, to say that, you know, I'm grateful for Alcoholics Anonymous and, and, um, and I'm devoted to Alcoholics Anonymous and, and to the people who are in it and, and to have the life that I have to be able to draw a sober breath when, you know, I know I could be dead. Um, and, you know, and now in my life, most people, they are just, they don't believe that I'm an alcoholic, you know, they'll like know me today, they don't know me in Alcoholics Anonymous. And I, um, last, a few years ago, I had a cousin that um, actually committed suicide. And um, the amazing thing was, um, he had relapsed at 16 years sober, and I didn't even know he was sober, and he had relapsed, and he had been a, a chaplain in the Navy, um, and had four small children, and, um, and felt as though he had let God down, and, um, and, and, he, and he took his life, and, and uh, there was a, um, you know, a, a memorial and a big service, and there was something about, because he has my same last name to be able to see his name up there um, and to do the a military service, to see them like folding the flag and then kneel down to hand his wife and his four little kids a flag. Um, it was just heartbreaking. And I was talking to my uncle and we were talking about alcoholism. And I said, well, I understand the alcoholism in our family. And, and he said, oh, but not you. Like he adores me. He's like, not you. And I go, well, yeah, I've been 
you know, and he goes, no, our family is as really bad alcoholism, like nothing that could be. And it's just because he can't even think that that would be me. And it was absolutely me. And, and, um, and my, my family knows that and my friends know that. And, and now here in Orange County, you know, Orange County is my home and I, and I love it here. Um, I love being here. I love the sobriety that's in these rooms and the people that are in these rooms. And, and um, that, you know, that I get to have this life that I have and, and um, get to be able to be a part of this thing and, and to give back to what's so freely given to me. And so, um, you know, if you're new or if you've been aware or if you've been around for a while and you have some secrets, you know, um, there's someone uh, in, in my meeting that used to always say, um, you know, you know, stick with the winners. And I get that stick with the winners. And, but he would also say, you know, I only want winners sitting next to me. And, um, and so after a while I started sharing, um, if you feel like a loser, you got a seat next to me, you know, that, um, (laughs) you know, in these rooms, um, you know, we, we don't judge what I have found is when I judge, I usually do what I judge between an hour and three years later, you know, and, but, you know, if you have secrets or you're having a hard time, you know, I hope that you can reach out to somebody and, and let us in and um, not be um, trudging this road alone. It's not made to be. Um, we, we're alcoholics. We like to isolate. And, and uh, so anyway, thank you so much. Um, and Ryan, thank you for asking me to speak. Let's thank our speaker, Lisa, again.